Welcome to Unraveling Midlife. I'm your host, Sarah Spence. I'm in the process of unraveling my own midlife using a definition from Western astrology that fascinates me. It talks about phases that everyone goes through in life, specifically starting in the mid to late 30s through to the early to mid 40s. A little later, there's a time of significance around the age of 50. It's those years that are often called the midlife crisis, or as Brene Brown so aptly puts it in her excellent article, the midlife unraveling. In astrology, midlife can be defined as the time in life where if we haven't been living our life purpose, life will initiate this change if we're not on track. It can bring opportunity to confront our biggest fears, find our way through the foggy times, bounce us from one extreme to the other, and give us health checks, just to name a few. In my quest for as peaceful a journey as possible, through the sometimes chaotic nature of the human condition, I'll be exploring midlife by speaking with others about their experiences and the tools they've used to walk midlife with grace and awareness. Plus, as an added bonus, at the end of each episode, I'll be sharing some original music. Today's song is a well-known Rumi poem, The Guest House, translated by Coleman Barks, set to music. It's from the 2015 album Awake by Prem Ratna, which is a Sanskrit name I was given. This poem is a favourite of my guest today, hence the selection of this particular song to follow our discussion. I'm talking to a transformational leader and teacher today, primarily influenced by the teachings of classical Tantra, Karalia. Karalia is a communicator and content creator with a background in journalism and public service. In the last few decades, she has published three books, written thousands of articles, produced hundreds of videos and taught hundreds of retreats, trainings, workshops, classes, and programs. Her passion is working with people who are ready to liberate themselves from the suffering of the human mind. I first came across Karalia as the founder and editor of what felt like New Zealand's first online coming together of the yoga community, the Yoga Lunchbox. Since then, she has passed the website on to its next fabulous caretakers and delved further into classical tantra, which is not sex-related. I've read her inspiring and relatable articles over the last 10 years and observed her journey through these and also through Aotearoa New Zealand's conscious festival scene where we both regularly facilitate workshops. Recently I attended one of her weekend retreats, of which there are many topics. This one was called The Great Create, which turned into the incubation for the creation of this podcast, so it was only fitting that I started my own creation, talking with Karalia. Karalia, welcome to Unraveling Midlife. How are you? I'm unraveling and I'm definitely in the mid of my life. So it's definitely the right place for me to be in. I feel good. Thanks so much for joining me today. So as you know, we 
delving in with this podcast to talk to inspiring people about midlife, whether that's your experience or what experience you have with others' midlives uh, and, and all that. So what are your thoughts on midlife? The first um, thought in is, am I really at midlife? Like when I think about being middle-aged as such, like middle-aged people to, in my mind, my, my idea of them is, is that they're old or that they're a certain kind of way. And it's like, whoa, hang on a sec. Technically, I am middle-aged. I'm in the middle of my life. So then I have to reconfigure my idea of what it means to be middle-aged. Um, what I'm noticing around that is, you know, I'm 45 and a half. <laughs> so I am halfway to like 91. And there is a clarity that's coming in. It's like there's been a lot of... Um, <laughs> been a lot of years that have already passed and in some ways I'm not where I thought I would be and yet in other ways I'm right where I thought I would be but there's a sense of not wanting I, I know you can't waste time but there's a sense of it's now or never it's like now is the time now is the time no, no more time for like little um, detours and I can do it later and it doesn't really matter it's like nah it matters and it's now and let's go for it I I found when you said midlife versus middle-aged and I was thinking about the difference between them and the association of middle-aged uh kind of showing a bit of ageism not you personally but like as society and I've also observed that in life and my um, work working with older people sometimes too that that ageism and when I talk to older people older adults, they tell me they still feel 33 or 25 or whatever age mentally and that uh, it's still kind of a bit of a surprise to look in the mirror or realise that they're getting older or in the second half of their life or even the last quarter. Uh, you may have had that experience as well. Yeah, definitely. Like I feel, and we feel the same as I ever did, but maybe better than I ever did. Um and yet I look at my skin and I look at the wrinkles and starting to get gray hair and it's like, whoa, the out, you know, the packaging is changing. <laughs> the packaging's starting to degrade. <laughs> it's fascinating watching changes in, in the body. I remember a book I read the first chapter of and it was called What Are Old People For? And it suggested an advertisement for wrinkle cream. Imagine putting on this wrinkle cream and getting wrinkles and having so much respect from other people because your wisdom was showing just the opposite of current day doomological fillers. I would love to see that ad. That would be epic to actually see someone do it as if it was like L'Oreal or whatever, you know, Revlon, whatever those products are to do one for, for like creating wrinkles. Oh my God. I'll make sure I put that book in the show notes. <laughs> oh, I love it. I love it. I do I do notice like because I'm dedicated to awakening and liberation so I'm very aware that the way that I perceive the aging body it shows me how identified I am with it and so I I'm using it as like my day-to-day -day reminder that I am not this body and also to that day-to-day -day reminder that there is inherently nothing more valuable about youthful skin or older skin that that in itself is a projection that in itself is societal conditioning so the fact that the body I'm in is aging is giving me an opportunity to really break that level of 
conditioning of identifying with the body and also taking on the conditioning that you know is rampant in our society because older I mean yeah the whole thing of privileging youth over age is such a bullshit thing really yeah I agree so that kind of works into what you teach as part of your Mm. like classical tantra can you tell us a bit more about that yeah so I started out as a yoga teacher well I started out as a journal in journalism actually so communications is my background Um, but then I began teaching yoga in 2006 did my training in 2010 got introduced to tantra classical tantra and over the last two or three years um, the last five years really I've been doing a daily classical tantra practice in the last two to three, just immersing and studying that particular methodology for awakening and liberation. So classical Tantra, it talks about embodied liberation. So you're not trying to transcend this messy, flawed, imperfect human life. And it's not sex, right? right? It's not sex, right? It is not sex at all. That's neo-Tantra as opposed to classical Tantra. No, it's a way of, it's a a pathway to self-realization realizing the self which in tantra that's called the true nature so what you really are beyond your thoughts beyond your feelings beyond your body beyond all these things that come and go and change um and it's it's amazing you know like it's freedom it's liberation it's it's going past worry and anxiety and fear and all of those things and being okay with whatever's showing up from moment to moment in one's life even when it's painful challenging or difficult So given that you're at the end of those midlife astrological transits, the Pluto, the Neptune, the Uranus, and then the Saturn, I'm making an assumption that that has given you some really amazing life experiences to practice that going with the flow, because it can be a bit of a tumultuous time, as, as much of life can be, but that's just a typical midlife unraveling really that you're coming towards the end of Mm. any any thoughts on on that stretch in particular like when I reflect on say the last five years like when I turned 40 I was living in Mount Manganui and when I you know reflect on where I was then and where I am now I feel like there has been quite a strong unraveling and laying to rest of different patterns and beliefs and ways of being that have been haunting me in essence since my teenage years particularly my 20s and my 30s it's like in my 30s I was wrestling with it all and I was attempting to get to this to do the work but it wasn't until 40 to 45 that I really began to the fruits started to to realize like I finally got to the roots of some pretty gnarly beliefs and or patterns was able to dissolve them and so now at 45 in some ways I feel like I'm 20 like I, f- I feel like I'm stepping forth back into the world like I've been reborn and I'm ready to go you know as if I was leaving high school or something but instead I don't have all the patterning the conditioning the karmas that I had as an 18 19 year old when I was leaving high school so it feels amazing. It's like work your shit out in the 20s, 30s, resolve it in the early 40s, and then your life can start for real. <laughs> and there you have it, the golden piece of advice for people in their 20s and 30s. And I'm a few years behind you, and part of me doing this podcast is, oh, I'm in the midlife transits. How on earth, especially before the chaotic lightning 
pattern, the lightning strike of, of the Uranus opposition coming up for me in the next couple of years. Okay, I need all the wisdom that I can to, <laughs> and so this inspires me that if I do the work and, and uh, keep the awareness going of just watching and letting it go with the flow, I, I find it very inspiring. Thank you. Mm. Yeah, if I look at it um, from a pattern perspective, I'd say in my 20s, I went wild and crazy. And I just went and I lived life wholeheartedly, full throttle, like through myself at life. And then it all got really messy. And <laughs> I had to come home to New Zealand. Um, and my 30s were about trying to figure out, holy shit, now I'm, now I'm 30 and I'm not living the life I thought I would. Who am I? What's going on? And I had to go inward. And so I went inward for pretty much my whole 30s in a way, starting to figure shit out. And then in my 40s, it was like it started to come together and lay down the foundations and things started to rebuild. Um, so if you're in your 20s or you're in your 30s, go wild, live it up, go nuts in some way. Because, you, you know, if you don't do it then, you're going to wish you did it in your 40s or 50s. But by then, the risk or the challenge or you've got so much more to lose as such. But in your 20s, you know, yeah, do it then, man. <laughs> I don't regret it in the slightest living my 20s the way I live my 20s. I'm so grateful. Even though even though when I came back to New Zealand and I was like 29, 30, and I was like, oh, no, I've been off partying and traveling and everyone else has been climbing the corporate ladder and they're all these successful people buying houses with careers and I'm just a loser failure um (gasps) that that was how I felt then in my early 30s but that's not how I feel now you know at all it was that that in itself was revealing a really deep belief around what it means to be successful what it means to be a failure comparison all of those things you know (laughs) I can relate having spent much of my 20s overseas and come home and people are asking about growing lettuce or are you going to buy a house? And like, oh, I can't talk about that. I'm still adjusting to not talking about travel or where I'm from, you know, like having yeah. the accent. You get used to being the, the almost like the center of attention. It's a talking point and you get home and you're just normal. <laughs> just so true. I love being overseas and traveling. But at the same time, I probably wouldn't want to be doing it now. I mean, the world's obviously changed so much. Um, but even if COVID wasn't going on, I, I know I'd have a different experience. It wouldn't be that same footloose, fancy-free, ignorance is bliss kind of sense, you know. <laughs> Absolutely. So, and you've you've written books about your time in your 20s and 30s, haven't you? And, and you've got a few books under your belt, not just a, a memoirs. Can you tell us a bit about them? Yeah, so I published my third book, which is my memoir, Sex, Drugs and Mostly Yoga, in 2018, um, which was probably right in the middle of that Uranus, or Uranus, sorry, not Uranus, it's Uranus. (laughs) Let's all have a giggle. (laughs) It's appropriate because I do talk about anal sex in that book. Um, (laughs) uh, But that was a real completion for me, like writing that memoir really completed and ended that time in my 20s and then the recovery in my 30s um yeah and I think so that published in November 2018 so uh that felt like a lane to rest of things for sure and then my earlier books in 2013 I published 40 days of yoga and that's a cycle that basically takes people through the psychological process of committing to daily practice um and so that would have been I think that was at the end of one of my first transits when I looked at the dates that you sent me the one of those transits went from 2010 to 2013 
So it was like that transit in particular was when I was having my son, leaving his his father, like my partner, and then going, holy shit, I am a single mum with no money. And I was like 35 and had no, you know, I'd left a job as a speechwriter um, for MSD, so for the Ministers of Social Development, in order to have the child. And so it's like, what am I going to do now? And that was when I really orientated. That's when I started my business. And I was like, I need to create a product. Oh, I'm a writer. I'm a yoga teacher. I really get the psychological process of commitment. I'm going to write a book on that. Um, And so that came out in February 2013. Which was your Pluto Square. Yeah. The time they say can be quite traumatic. Funny that. Bit of upheaval, facing your deepest fears. Well, you know what my deepest fear was? Oh, my God, that's so interesting. When I was a teenager, my mum left my dad or they broke up when I was 11. So she was a single parent with three children. And as a teenager, my biggest fear was ending up as a single parent in my 30s. And guess what happened? I ended up as a single parent in my 30s. And I discovered it wasn't that bad, that a lot of what my mum was experiencing was not because of the circumstances, but because of her beliefs and her mindset and what was going on internally for her so I had to go into my biggest fear to discover there's nothing to be afraid of here you can totally thrive it's all about you and not about the circumstances <laughs> that's true I'm my biggest fear that I looked at in Pluto Square was was different um again but around other people and what they were thinking or saying about me and it's absolutely right it's you've got to face it and get through it and then there's freedom on the other side. And I think that's what this midlife unraveling is about, is becoming free. Mm. Yes, I definitely feel way more free now than I did say when I was 40. Like, the yeah, the level of freedom. It feels so exciting. It does. It feels like anything is possible. Like where do I want to direct my energy and my attention? And I do feel like the work I did in my 30s leading up to it has given me such a strong foundation to then take advantage of the freedom. Absolutely. And how do you help other people? Some of them are probably in midlife. (laughs) Yeah. So I now work with people in a variety of ways. Um, I run Tantra trainings. They're they're like five-day immersion residential and or eight weeks online. And so that is giving people the view teachings of Tantra. So here's how to orientate to reality in a way that leads to liberation and freedom, you see. And so that's, those trainings also teach people how to be with whatever's arising in the moment and how to digest the emotional experiences of the now, but also any undigested emotional experiences from the past. So very much about freedom. Um, and I do a lot of other things in terms of workshops, uh, one-on-one course, one-on-one sessions, online courses, but the, I guess the core of all of it is supporting people to unlock their potential, supporting people to to be with their emotional truth, their the reality as it is, so that they can be, just be in their power and move from that place of of ease. Uh, I love it. As you can probably tell. Like I love working with people like this because seeing people just light up and step into their potential and their dreams and all that is extraordinary. And I know that we're here making this podcast, the inaugural episode, uh, because I attended one of your retreats, The Great Create, and I didn't really know what I was going to be creating, but here we are with the uh, the great 
action plan that I got out of it slowly didn't happen overnight Mm -hmm. (laughs) but it did happen that's it like you're here three months later making a podcast and that's what I mean what I what I notice from working with people is that there's this energy that comes through where people know the direction they want to move in whatever it is towards a relationship or towards a dream or towards um, something creative or financial but then all the fears and the doubts and the thoughts and the beliefs and all this stuff comes up that's in the way and so in essence what I do is help people to identify that and to dissolve it you know to recognize if you can dream it if that dream has you then you can have that dream that's so true I was rereading my notes before uh, we came on to talk and it was uh really inspiring to go oh yeah those were my doubts but that was my vision yeah this this could be where I am in two years time and Uh people always say you know what's your two-year plan what's your five-year plan they don't actually tend to say it as much as going for a job interview and well what's your two-year plan what's your five-year plan I actually haven't ever been asked that (laughs) in an interview which is good because I'm like well hang on anything can happen in that time I can have if you're too attached to the destination are you going to enjoy the journey yeah Mm. yeah I think that's a big aspect like when I when I work with my own life or with other people it's definitely not outcome focused but it is it is focused on trajectory and kind of like orientation so what are you orientating toward what's your trajectory with the realization that as you move along that trajectory with that particular orientation there'll always be new information new data coming in and you'll shift and change into a different person as you move so then you might realize oh I just want to adjust my trajectory slightly and head for that island instead of that island and then that's okay because you already become a different person you've already become more of who you are quite often things just get clearer and clearer but you're right if you're fixated on getting to the thing no matter what and ignoring who you be that's when it can get it can get problematic get there and discover oh my god I didn't want to be here anymore (laughs) (laughs) that sounds it's such a potent learning that what's been one of your biggest learnings in life or a, a a big learning a big learning Mm, let me just take a moment to yeah one big learning is to take moments to really drop in and feel what's true right to just like I'm right now I'm just noticing my breath noticing my body Mm, and then that creates spaciousness and out of that spaciousness what arises is one of my biggest learnings has been to to let go and trust and Ironically, in my 20s, I reckon that's what I was doing really well. I was completely surrendered and trusting to the wild, I'm just going to fly to Maui for three weeks. Oh, let's just stay for nine weeks. You know, like just doing the thing. But then it all appeared to come to a very rough ending. And so I think what that did was it made me question. I stopped letting go and trusting. But that kind of surfaced another aspect of me, which was the controlling fearful aspect which had been there all along but had been kind of um hidden in the shadows so I had to had to really uh, learn how to acknowledge that part of me that was controlling and fearful and orientate to the letting go and trusting from a much more powerful way rather than whimsical way like a deeper stronger way you see so question around that 
change because I'm thinking that around 29 for the couple of years 28 to 30 ish there's also another transit called Saturn return and Saturn's associated with control and structure and tradition and that time's often um, called the becoming an adult phase and taking on responsibility did is that something that oh. kind of happened at that time? I mean, that was when you came back from overseas. So yeah. I assume maybe yes. Pretty much bang on. So what one of the one of the major reasons I came home from overseas is I had an awakening slash psychosis. And I had two episodes of psychosis, um, one that was mid-August and one mid-September in 2004. And the second, the first one was potentially triggered by recreational drug use, you could say. Um, but then I stopped all drugs. So the second one was triggered by uh, my fiance breaking up with me now that second one was more potent it felt more scary because I couldn't blame the drugs you know it's easy to blame the drugs for going a little off center but there were none and that second psychosis happened bang on my Saturn returns like it was when it was exact another astrologer friend who looked it up Um, so there is no doubt at all that for me Saturn returns was like a really hard cold bitch slap across the face in terms of you got to get your shit together and because I literally woke up on a psych ward for the second time and I'd been committed so I couldn't just voluntarily leave I had to stay there until I proved to them that I was sane Um, and that was the moment where I had you know my fiance had broken up with me we'd been living together I didn't really have work I was kind of freelancing and doing it badly uh so there was no choice but to take full responsibility for this hole that I appeared to have found myself in because there was no one to rely on. There was no one that I could hide behind. There was It was just me, myself, and I. So no doubt that that, that return, that Saturn returns, was exactly that for me. Yeah, it's interesting because I looked up what when my exact Saturn return was and it was the day of my, of my grandmother's funeral, <laughs> mm. which I thought was very interesting you know, and associated life changes. Cause they say that, but that's often a time where people get married or have children or get divorced if they've been married before, or, you know, maybe have an awakening slash psychosis you know? yep. <laughs> or death in the family. Like something often happens around that time and it might not be as big as that. Um, being an adult is actually really tough. There's all these other stresses that I never, it, anticipated as a teenager or even in my 20s I mean I guess I was naive and then there's this shift into gosh there's all these different layers of being an adult that feel like I'm still learning (laughs) and I guess we're always learning right yeah yeah I would say that that Saturn returns is like there's no escaping anymore the fact that you have to become an adult like in your 20s you can kind of I mean in a way I did run away from from it all by going overseas and traveling, et cetera, et cetera. Um, but that was the point where it was like, there was no running away anymore. Like, I just I had to come home, which sucked. Yeah, it's quite a thing moving back from being overseas for some time, especially people that have been away a long time, like, you know, mm. 10, 15 years. It's, it's mm-hmm. a whole adjustment. And I guess that's a, kind of a generational thing um, up until – COVID, uh, that people did go overseas for their OE, as we call it in New Zealand, overseas experience, because New Zealand is surrounded by water. So we don't really talk about going abroad. It's always about overseas. And that 
coming back and, and adjusting and it'll be really interesting to see where we go in the future once travel mm. and borders open because we've got a pretty closed border at the moment mm. um yeah it's and then there's all the pe people coming back right now because of covid who probably wouldn't have come back otherwise who may likely be 40 to 45 in their midlife and there may be a sense of being forced to come home. It's not necessarily a choice right now. So there's probably a whole lot of people in New Zealand facing into all of this right now and making those, having to make those adjustments. Mm. And people around their sat in return who'd planned to stay away for a while and then haven't been able to, or some of them probably bunkering down, getting through it in, uh, in the Northern Hemisphere somewhere. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, and so what has given the interesting state of the world at the moment, what, what's recently inspired you? Mm. I mean, I'm really curious about what's happening in the world. To me, it, it does feel a bit more and more like a video game where the parameters keep shifting. It's like, how fast can you pivot, you know, without, without freaking out and without being attached and without being afraid? Um, that's how I'm sort of seeing it. So in a way, what's happening is really inspiring me to look at fear within my own system, particularly psychological fear, and to develop a range of tools, techniques, et cetera, in order to be able to hold fear without being immersed in it or identifying with it, and therefore without acting from it. And that seems to be going pretty pretty well. And I'm, I'm really curious about what it feels like to live a fearless existence, because for most of us, the fear we experience is psychological. There's biological fear that arises when the human organism is threatened. Like when a tiger bursts and, you know, comes hunting you, there's a biological fear and there's a reason for that. But a lot of people are in this low-level state of fear 24-7 when their actual physical survival is not um, in question in the moment. Yes. There's so much stress these days, you know, looking at – didn't, didn't they say the, the founders of Facebook and they said, oh, well, we found that having the notifications showing in blue didn't get as many taps or clicks. So we changed it to red. So everyone's in this state of alert. And mm. I know it's a total aside, but I was in the jungle in Malaysia and actually heard a tiger roar. So I know what it feels like to completely. Oh, what was it like? Oh, my gosh. It was the only other time I've really felt like that was when my parents told me they were breaking up. Where you're totally and utterly present and you're like oh my gosh is this a dream what the hell do I like it's it's a complete pivot but fortunately we didn't run away and later we bumped into a guide he said oh good thing you didn't run they might have chased you but we're in a national park so they get enough food you're really lucky oh yeah <laughs> I love, that. love what you said there um I felt really present you said you felt really present. Very that, present. That, right? And because that's a biological necessity, like if you're if you are threatened, the more present you are, the more responsive, et cetera, that you can be. What I notice about like psychological fear and the stress that people find themselves in now is that it seems to be the opposite, whereby it sends people more and more into their mind as such. Um, and the interesting thing about stress per se is that it is only a product of the mind it only comes about because of attachment to outcome wanting things to be a particular way when you have 
when you're completely chill with whatever unfolds from moment to moment, stress no longer is a part of your existence. And it's the grooves. It's working with observing those mind grooves that for me, that just can be incessant and getting back to watching and having a regular practice makes the world of difference with being able to watch that and I'll be driving along, having a fake conversation with someone who's not there, a conversation I might not ever have. And I stop grooves, say it out loud. I'm, I'm just grooving. <laughs> mm, I like that. Yeah. Yeah. yeah I've grooves. definitely noticed that those conversations or emails that, you know, play out in the head have, have largely dropped away as a result of practice, et cetera. And so now if that happens, I'm really attuned to it because it's such an anomaly. And one of the questions I often ask myself, if I notice the mind is starting to write an email or have a conversation, I'll, I'll just tune in and ask, how's my body feeling in this moment? And when I do that, it drops me down into direct felt experience. And then sometimes there will be emotion there. And so I just feel that. And once I felt the emotion, then often like the, emo the unfelt emotion was what was fueling the thought train. And then once I feel the emotion, it's like the thought train has no fuel and it just ceases to do its thing. Not always, but quite often. Um, and that's a good example of like the, the kind of practical work of awakening and liberation that I'm doing in my day-to-day -day existence, which you're well aware of, but I know that you know listeners may not understand what it means to orientate to reality simply from awareness when you don't actually have to think about shit, like you don't have to think about stuff. Just doesn't it's not necessary life still happens but you don't have to think about it all the time I feel like I'm just starting to catch glimpses of that and yeah. it, it's been so many different practices like starting with the yoga asana and then moving to meditation and then going oh no I'm gonna do I'll get into my fitness and I hang on no I have to actually do spiritual practice and now I'm doing a more active type meditation um, that's completely different from a quiet watching mindfulness practice um, and when it's working for me at the moment so you do what 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 works for you I mean I, I I get the feeling that people that aren't into the spiritual concept of meditation or enlightenment or even enlightenment seems like a kind of far off goal just being present is my aim um, easier said than done a lot <laughs> often uh, but that even running getting into that inhale exhale it's it's a form of pranayama the breathing aspect of, of yoga the regularity of watching and just keeping on watching and keeping on working and realizing okay I've just got to keep going keep watching and pick myself up again and keep going Mm -hmm. And I liked that because I remember, because um, you you write, you, you're a writer and have these amazing articles on your website, which is www.caralia.com, but no hyphen. My name's hyphenated, but my website is not. Caralia.com, and she's got great articles. And, and I'm pretty sure you addressed it in there that you were doing your thousand day practice. You'd aim for your thousand day practice and you you fell off the wagon a couple of times but you finished it mm -hmm. and yeah. how many how many years was that 
So I started that intention on, it was March 2015, when I was like, all right, I'm going to do a thousand days in a row of the same practice. Um, and then it took me five years and three months to finally do a thousand days in a row of the same practice. And I completed it July 26, 2020. So last year. I just keep going. So I'm still, you know, doing yeah. the thing. So I'm, I'm closing in on, I guess, 1300 days now. Um, well, if that's a way to spend uh, some of the midlife years, that totally, totally. That's a really good point because in March 2015, I would have been almost 40 because I turned 40 in August 2015. So it would have been probably a Neptune square. So that's the, I mean, Neptune's to do with spirituality. And so I know for me, that's what I'm in at, uh, well, the midlife transit I'm in because according to astrology, um, there's lots of things that can be happening at the same time as these, um, that, that it is all personal to our own personal astrological chart at birth. Um, but that Neptune square, and I was talking with a friend who's um, very similar age to me, a few months younger, and talking about how confused we were feeling about our spirituality, always have it, having had it been such a center focus of our life and then suddenly like not really being interested that's been a really interesting fascinating um journey to to go through really as well did you have that at all or were you like not being interested in it um not being interested or 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 kind of going into a different eddy or different braid of a stream no um not at all like I've been pretty hell-bent pretty since that awakening slash psychosis because the awakening was a major paradigm shift. I dropped into what it felt like to be awake. And so once, and then of course, psychosis and waking up and I was right back in, you know, conditioned mind and it felt like being in hell. But I'd had that glimpse of of what it felt like to drop into awakeness. And so that has been such a motivating force in terms of like, I've just been so committed to the spiritual path ever since. and I do think that committing to that thousand day practice in March 2015 was a, was a watershed. And I could literally see the progress that unfolded when I dropped the ball the first time around, day 338, I think it was. And then the second time around, I'd start again from day one. The second time around, dropped the ball day 617. And the difference in, you know, two very similar experiences, dropping the ball. And the second one, you'd think I'd be even more pissed off because I was like even closer but the difference in how I um, perceived or met or experienced that was so different. And I was like, whoa, I'm not the same person I was when I dropped the ball two years ago. And just having that comparison and being able to just experience life in a different way, I just continued to double down. Um, and it does feel like now the where I'm at is that seeking has dropped away. Mm. Seeking has dropped away. It's just and yet I probably still study or read or teach or practice just as much but there's no sense of looking for anything anymore there's just a sense of being with so that Neptune square was happening when you started and Uh Neptune square is around letting go ah Ah, seeking has been let go of like it's nothing yeah it's just what is. <laughs> That's so beautiful. That's mm. so beautiful. So I know that 
you you talk about a whole heap of different experiences. You you've got a regular kind of community offering that people can um, get into online. Mm. Is it the Patreon? Yeah. So on Patreon, I have my um, my tantric community. And so there are weekly tantric yoga classes and monthly webinars at different levels. And you can also do one-on-one work with me at quite a, like a 50% discount on my regular website rate. Um, and that's also where I share teachings and people can just ask questions. And for those who want to immerse in the teachings of classical tantra, that's a good place to do it with other people who are committed in that way. Because um, ultimately the path itself is always going to be individual. It's always going to be individual. So to, to be in a community of people who are working, you know, working the teachings in their individual way is really, really useful because I, as a teacher, tend to just keep pointing students back to themselves. What's your direct experience? What are you noticing? What are you aware of? How does that feel for you? And that's how I, how I teach is not so much telling people anything, but sharing the tools and the techniques and saying, go and experiment, see what happens, notice what happens, what does it bring up, how do you work with that? Mm. So Patreon's like the container that holds some of that work. And and for people interested in classical tantra or even interested in getting to the point of not seeking or just observing and letting life go with the flow, having that container that has other people who will ask the questions that you might not have thought of yourself. But I find that when I listen to answers from other people's questions, I can get so much from it. Mm. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I noticed that too. Like some people are more active as with any community and I know, but I can see that people are reading and, and receiving and watching what other people are asking and how other people are engaging. Yeah. Yeah. So how can people find you? We've said there's the website. That's your main Mm -hmm. kind of place to find Cara Leah is on www.caraleah.com. I'm also on YouTube. So if you you just search for Cara Leah Grant on YouTube, it'll come up. I'm on Instagram. Um, And then my books are out there on all good bookstores, you could say. Um, You'll definitely find them on Amazon and uh, Book Depository, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah, and on, on the odd podcast as well, because you had a podcast that you were yes. done four seasons of. Yes, um, Pillow Talk, and I still have to do the last episode, actually. It's one more episode to go, and then I'm going to retire that particular one and consider and see what comes up for the next um, series of podcasts. Who knows, maybe I'll just guest on them instead. <laughs> no, well, that, I mean, that's great. When I find someone that I want to hear more of, I'll just go onto a podcast app and search for a name and sometimes you get some really interesting like varieties of podcasts and different hosts and discover new things and all all that Mm. it's uh the world of technology i mean the moon does go to the seventh house every month jupiter aligns with mars every two years or so and um we're at the dawning of the age of aquarius Information is just moving faster and faster. Yeah, because Aquarius is so connected with social media and technology and the internet and community and connections. Mm. Um, so, so we're all kind of moving this way. And I, and I think that the recent state of the world uh, with virus means that it's had to exponentially speed up uh, people coming on board with technology 
Um, maybe not so much here in New Zealand uh, because we've been in relative freedom apart from the first two or three months, um, being able to effectively close the borders and control community transmission, uh, which is amazing. And we're so lucky and feel privileged. Um, and actually, I'm just grateful because I find if I stare too much at the screen, my eyes get sore. Yeah. Yeah, I love being able to catch up with people in person. And I love the fact that you and I can have this conversation and we don't know who will listen to this in the next 5, 10, 15, 150, 200 years. That's true. All of our digital footprint. Uh -huh. Who knows what's going to happen with it? We might have historians studying this. This is so true. Hi, guys. <laughs> Hi. Hi, future people. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, thank you so much, Karalia, for coming on and uh, discussing midlife and mm. how to unravel, how to let mm. go. Um, I think you've got some amazing offerings to point us in the right direction of being able to just go with that flow. Mm. It's been an absolute joy, as always, to have these kind of conversations with you. Yes, and thank you for getting me on this creative project. <laughs> My pleasure. As promised earlier, here is the Rumi poem Guest House from Prem Ratner's album Awake. Enjoy.
Unraveling Midlife is brought to you from Aotearoa, New Zealand by www.sarahmarlowspence.com Theme music is by Sarah Marlow Spence and Saraspati Marie Willis and art by Samantha Hepburn.